welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast, the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and in this episode, I traveled up to the Gold Coast and met with Jocelyn Erickson from Hop On Brewery Tours, who has a fascinating beer journey starting in Portland, Oregon, and moving all the way to Southeast Queensland. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast, and uh, with me is uh, Jocelyn Erickson from Hop On Brewery Tours in, uh, well, kind of Queensland, yes. Lower Queensland, Southeast Queensland. Southeast. We'll go with that. Yeah, <laughs> Lower Queensland. Yeah, lower sounds, Queensland sounds works. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you, you're the less foot diverse. of Queensland. Yeah, the foot of Queensland. Um, well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and Jocelyn. You, it's not a great Queensland accent you're sporting there. No, unfortunately, I haven't acquired that one yet. Are you, are you working on it? No, <laughs> not uh, not even a little bit. <laughs> so where is your accent from? I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. Now that is hipster central, isn't it? Portland, it is, Oregon. but it wasn't when I left. I left about 13, 14 years ago, uh, pre-Portlandia, pre-hipster-ish, uh, when it was actually weird for all of the right reasons and the reasons that everybody decided to move there now so yes so we might talk a little bit about that later on um but hop on brewery tours yes tell us a little bit about what that is how long you've been operating uh so my partner matt and i started hop on brewery tours about two and a half years ago um we were both doing different jobs I'd come all the way out here from the States and we never really saw each other because of work and found that our free time, we were actually spending a lot of time going to beer festivals and events and things like that and just decided to make the sea change and wanted to get into the beer community because it seems so... Um, collaborative and so supportive and you go to these festivals and everybody kind of knows each other and you see everybody wandering around getting beers and chatting with everybody all the punters they know the brewers and vice versa and it was just a community kind of full of cool kids and we kind of wanted to be the cool kids and um yeah took that leap we were inspired by an existing brewery tour i should give a bit of a shout out to dave in sydney um if we hadn't seen his van when we were down in port macquarie we might not be where we are. Um, so we run tours in Brisbane and on the Gold Coast. So we kind of cross over into both of those different uh, groups of breweries, I suppose. Now, if you would have started your business five years ago, it would have been a bit of a different story, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, apparently there were uh, a few attempts about five, six years ago up in Brisbane, and they just kind of faded out because aside from Newstead, Green Beacon, All In, Bacchus there really weren't a huge amount of options to, to go to. And so now with the emergence, I mean, I think the number of breweries in Brisbane has doubled since we started the tours. And there's a big dog in town going to be in town called BrewDog. There is, yes. That's, um, that's something that's still on the horizon. We haven't really come to any conclusions with how that's going to affect, if that's going to affect us at all. Uh, still something to discuss, I suppose, is as they progress. Once they break ground and maybe start making beer, then we can look into that one. And so the glamour of uh, going to a, a beer festival where it's all everyone's friends, high-fiving each other, everyone's being very nice to each other. Um, and is it is it as collegiate? Is it as uh, kind of the community that you thought it was? 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we've been let down in that sense at all. Everybody has been extremely welcoming with open arms. Um, you know, there's always there's always a little bit of politics in any industry that you go to. Our job is to stay out of those politics because we don't want to be seen as siding with somebody versus somebody else. So we try and stay apolitical, um, which, you know, sometimes can be a bit challenging. But for the most part, absolutely. It's, it, it is a great community um, and one that really took the two of us who were very much on the outskirts, uh, Matt and I, and, and have shown us the ropes and embraced us and really welcomed us into that community. Yeah, well, you're doing a, uh, a kind of a vital job, particularly in a region where there's a lot of people who've never had good beer. Um, there's a lot of people who probably are skeptical about good beer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you are kind of evangelizing in, in a van <laughs> with a, cap, a captive audience. Yeah. Uh, I, I, tell I, us about your experience. <laughs> I'm just getting that mental image of evangelizing in a van. Um, I think, you know, the challenge, especially in Brisbane, is it is dominated by Forex, not solely within the Queensland culture of, you know, Queenslanders drink Forex, but the brewery is right there in the middle of the city. And so people have grown up with their dad drinking Forex, their grandfather drinking Forex, and there's so much of, of the mentality of the belief that beer equals Forex. Um, and that's where people stop. They might have tried a tinny when they were 17 and it was warm sitting on the counter and they took a swig and they go, you know what, that's terrible. I don't want to drink that. And in their mind, that's all beer is. They don't give it another shot. Um, so what we really try and focus on is the education and the appreciation side of beer because there's so much more than Forex. There's so much more than mass-produced lagers. And there's kind of a saying, you know, Overall, Australia is probably 15 years behind the States, and I would say Queensland is probably another five years behind the rest of Australia in terms of the number of breweries and just that, um, that mentality of getting out and trying what's in your own backyard. Well, there's a lot of um, difference. Uh, Queensland is dif different in many ways in terms of climate, politics, uh, outlook, uh, no daylight savings. Uh, all of those things are <laughs> different. Um, the, there's something that beer has played a very important part in Queensland's history. Um, and cold beer, yes. mid-strength beer, has played a massive part. This is a big wall to knock down, isn't it? In it, Queensland specifically. Yeah, it really is. I think uh, not just the, the idea of beer being cold and wet and mid-strength, but in being something that you drink in mass quantities. You go and get a slab of tinnies, and that's what lasts you Friday and Saturday night while you're watching the game. Um, and I think changing people's perception and getting them to think of beer as something that you enjoy, almost like a dessert. You know, you might have two, three, four in a night. It's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. And with the fact that it's cold, that's definitely something that on our tours we focus on, that it's, it's um, dependent on what you're drinking, that temperature that you want it served at. Unfortunately, sometimes you do go into bars, you know, on a, on a winter Wednesday, because that's about all it lasts in Queensland. Uh, and you go in and you get a stout and they serve it to you in a chilled glass and you just kind of shake your head going, you know, this is a good bar and they're serving me a stout in a cold glass. And so it's, it's the little changes that are a lot of baby steps to get there. I think one of the influences that definitely Brisbane 
as a city getting on board. But I, I'm interested in the Gold Coast particularly because it seems like this used to be the place where people came to warm their joints before they died. And it's not that place anymore. It seems like there's an influx of younger people and that's surely driving up the demand um, of craft beer. Is that what you're seeing on a tour? Who's, who's your demographic coming on uh, a tour? Demographic, we do get a lot of the kind of 20s and 30s, especially down here who've heard of Balter. They know Mick Fanning. And so, of course, everybody wants to go meet Mick and see if he's there and make a joke about punching a shark. Everybody thinks they're very original with that. Um, but... I'd say in Brisbane, you're starting to actually get more of an older demographic. You start to get the 30s, 40s, 50s, and then people that are maybe in their 20s and 30s, they bring their parents. And so you kind of get this um, generational experience of trying something that's really different to traditional Forex drinkers or Great Northern drinkers or people like that. So you do a mixture, you do half-day tours, full-day tours um, in different locations. Is it, how important is communicating the message of what a beer tour is. I feel like the, you don't... <clears throat> if you ran a wine tour, there's there's already an expectation of etiquette and how people should behave, etc. I feel with a beer tour, there is a, sometimes maybe an assumption that it is to to get drunk or yeah. is to kind of you know how do you kind a of a party uh, bus kind of atmosphere yeah, yeah. how do you kind of temper that with uh you know without being the fun police how do you kind of get that message across well like i said with we make it pretty clear on our website and all of our collateral and everything that that the focus is education appreciation having said that you do get a lot of tasters nobody reads included that, do they? nobody <laughs> reads it but at the same time we haven't had too many people come on with the expectation that they're going to be you know, poured out of the bus at the end of the day. And and we set the standards really high from the get-go as soon as we introduce ourselves. Um, we provide all of the beer on tour. So it's not that we just take somebody to a venue and say, go wild, pick whatever beer you want. We bring out the tasting paddles. We talk through each and every beer. We discuss a pale ale, an amber ale, a stout, what temperature you should drink them at, which surprises everybody. Um, and so when they're getting all of those put in front of them, and, you know, we've got it down to a pretty good timing where there's not actually enough time, nor do we encourage people to go out and get an extra pine or get a schooner or anything. By the time we see people wrapping up, we load the bus up, we go to our next venue and keep it going. And to date, we haven't had anybody complain about there not being enough tour. Um, and we've run over 400 tours. And how has it been being on the other side? You are now part of the beer community, but also... You're driving the bus and yeah. delivering the education while everyone else is having fun. <laughs> it's still fun, though. I mean, I'm, I'm very much a people person. I love hearing people's stories. I love talking to them. Uh, we get a lot of people from overseas, so hearing about their experience in, in Australia and in Queensland, yeah, sometimes it's a bit of a downer when you get a group of six, seven, eight people and they're all like, yeah, you know, having their chat in the background. But most people are pretty inclusive in that end as well. Um, and we'll get you to join in in the carpool karaoke that's going on in the back. Um, everybody says, oh, man, you guys have the best job. And I go, no, because we're driving you around. <laughs> we can't have a drink until we get home. But it, it's uh, the first week or two were the hardest probably because you have to accustom, get accustomed to that. Um, 
But after a while, it's just like anything. You don't go to an office at nine o'clock in the morning and expect to sit there with a beer. Uh, so we've kind of changed our mentality to not do that either. So I wouldn't say we're the fun police or anything because we, <laughs> we want people to have fun. Um, but yeah, there's, it's definitely different. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, I, I actually think there's a lot to be said just by, as you say, the tone that you, you, know, that you set from the off gives it i think that's very true of venues though isn't it you know if, if the tone of the venue you don't need bouncers on the door you don't need signs telling people how to behave mm. there's a lot you can just read in between the lines if, it, if you're treating people in the right way and treating your product that you sell in the, in the right way as well talking of products we're here to talk through your six beers that changed everything mm. um choice one let's get started all right, choice one um, is interesting because I don't think I'm the first person to mention this one, uh, but it's Yingling. Uh, I am not much of a lager or pilsner drinker these days, but I went to school on the East Coast. I went to school in Pittsburgh, so Yingling is from Pennsylvania, and over there, that's what the frat party kegs were. It wasn't PBR, it wasn't Budweiser, it wasn't anything like that. It was actually Yingling. And just kind of shocking. Um, so I think I, I was not technically old enough to drink when I first got to university, but we'll pretend that that wasn't the case. Um, you and were so, in Europe. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was and, somewhere in the world, yeah. just and not in my country. East Coast used to be part of Europe, <laughs> surely. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, I think that was just the, the go-to. Um, Pennsylvania is really strange because you can't buy beer on Sundays. And so it was always the thing that there was always like the one or two dodgy delis that had their like beer on the bottom shelf and pretty much what you could get was a tolly of yingling and so if you wanted to you know have a few beers on a sunday that's what you were drinking so no like no beers from the bottle shop or no beers at all in bars and things no takeaway, no takeaway beers. beers so you could still go to a bar and, and drink there but there was no like all the bottle shops were closed pennsylvania has beer in one store wine and spirits in another store so so they separate yeah out. so planning a party was awful because you'd have to go to the grocery store to get all your snacks and then you had to go somewhere to get your beer and somewhere else to get your cheap vodka um so yeah it was it was an effort so we usually just we knew the few delis because it was a university town so there were always a few little this is workarounds uh, i'm presuming this is kind of something from the Prohibition era or yeah, a, a religious? Yeah, um, Pennsylvania is actually a commonwealth. It's not a state, getting into random U.S. history. So there are Please a few do. existing um, <laughs> commonwealths. So Massachusetts is one of them as well, which is why generally they have very different laws because they're kind of a like pre-United States wow. law kind of thing that's been grandfathered in. So yeah, I'm sure it goes way back to kind of early 1900s and it just has has stuck around since then is that still the case i have no idea i haven't lived in the states like i said in about 13 years so i i haven't really looked up the laws of pennsylvania (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure anybody listening can google and tell me if i'm wrong but yes i don't want anybody to google i want uh, some of our (laughs) listeners in the u.s to email in uh, you've been busy doing other things than checking the legal status. Yes, I have. <laughs> Although I'll probably go home and check now. <laughs> so so uh, this uh, particular beer, are we yep. just talking a mainstream common yeah. lager? Yeah. Is there anything special about it? Anything unusual? Uh, was it what percentage? Can you remember? 
I wasn't really concerned about percentage when I was 18, 19 years old. Um, my guess would be four to five. I feel like I should have looked this up before I came. Um, no, absolutely. No, that's another thing that a listener <laughs> in the US <laughs> um, I, I just think it was accessible. It was commercial, but it didn't seem commercial. There weren't Clydesdales on TV commercials. They weren't sponsoring any major events. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It wasn't anything like that. It was just something that felt really local at the time. Um, looking at it now, I realized that when I was drinking Yingling, it was only available in Pennsylvania. And then it expanded to be available in more of the East Coast states, like New York and Massachusetts and things. Um, the strangest place I've ever encountered it is we went to the Caribbean a few years ago, and it was on tap at a bar in Trinidad. And I actually had my picture taken with the Yingling tap because I was like, what is going on? Uh, so it somehow made it into the Caribbean. That might it be hasn't made it to the west coast of the states, <laughs> but it made it to the Caribbean. That might be a confusion with the actual... Queen's Commonwealth, <laughs> because Trinidad is a Commonwealth state. So maybe, you know, there's been a, a mix-up with the paperwork yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Just make sure the beer gets there, that's all right. <laughs> well, that's a good that's a good start. And you uh, would have drank this, obviously, when you f- were first starting to drink. Yeah. And why, why beer? Why did you start drinking beer other, as opposed to other available drinks? I wish I had a better answer than I don't know. Um, so I think in college, I think it goes back to that, that university life. It was either do four shots of tequila and be done in an hour or somebody hands you a beer and you've got, you know, the traditional red plastic solo cup and you're in people's backyards and you're drinking and it's more social. I suppose I feel like drinking spirits as much as I, I love rum. I am a rum drinker. Um, it, it is all about the shots and it's about the party and it's about getting wasted. Mm. And yeah, we were teenagers, so we wanted to do that. But yeah, beer has so much more of a social aspect to it because you can stand around. If you don't want to drink, you can just nurse the one beer all night. Nobody knows how many you've had because you're kind of meandering. Um, so it just, um, it was cheap and it was accessible. And yeah, I mean, from Portland, I think it's inevitable that you drink beer. I think it's more ingrained in the culture than Queenslanders. Uh, and so I think it was always in the back of my head. And I'm, I'm sure that I would have had a few beers before that. But, you know, looking into it, I'd say that Yingling was the first one that really stands out as kind of like, oh, yeah, I would go somewhere and ask for a Yingling. Yeah. So it's that recognition yeah. and, yeah, just that brand, first time brand loyalty. Yeah. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's great. Let's go on to choice two. Choice two. Um, I would actually have to go with a, I, th- I think they've sold now, uh, but Woodmer Brothers, they're Hefeweizen. So that's pretty much what they're known for or what they were known for back in late 90s. Um, it was just, it was a really traditional German Hef. And that's what they did day in, day out. I don't think I can remember any other Widmer products. Um, and again, $6 a six-pack in the grocery store. And it had flavor. It wasn't water. It had good body. All these things that you don't realize that you're actually taking into consideration when you're drinking at that age. But it was local. And I guess that was the other thing. There were so well, there are a few other local Portland or Oregon beers that make their way onto the list. And I think that was it is... 
I never drank. Uh, I never drank Sierra Nevada growing up, which surprises people. Um, but Oregon and California have a bit of a hate-hate relationship, and um, <laughs> and so I felt like drinking California beer was a bit sacrilege, and you just didn't do it. And there was so much good beer coming out of Oregon, and I feel like Widmer Half was so iconic of the place and the time and you know you look back and Widmer is one of the oldest breweries in Oregon um between him and and Henry Weinhards which was actually in downtown Portland so even though I don't recall a lot of the beers uh I do remember that when you would cross the bridge from where I lived in Portland into downtown that's where the brewery was and you as soon as you cross the bridge all of downtown Portland smelled like brewery like, it just had that multi, you know, they've been busy kind of smell, which I actually hated when I was growing up. I thought it was awful. Um, and so it, it's just part of the Portland consciousness, I think, to have Henry Weinhard, Widmer Brothers, like just true Oregonian spirit, even though they were German. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is kind of, that's very American, isn't mm. it? It's that immigrant story of, of going and, and uh, li- living the dream. and um, Maybe 150 years ago it was. <laughs> yeah, it, it's good to, important to put the caveat in there. Um, we are still living the Australian dream. Yes, yes. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> and um, what what's interesting about America is, obviously, huge place, huge population, but... It's the master of globalization. I mean, the brands that we know, uh, uh, American brands, that we can name tens of, of brands, um, it, just beer alone. But when you actually, it seems the case when you just go under the surface a little, there is this intense regionalized parochialism, um, passion for what's local. Oh, definitely. And rivalry as well yes <laughs> between neighboring <laughs> states and even states that are you know a bit, a bit further away mm. what's your experience uh, i mean not australia's does have that a little but not what's your experience is that quite different well here? i don't know i guess if you liken it to something like the state of origin there's a lot of that new south wales queensland tension that you kind of absorb once you come here I don't have any animosity towards New South Wales but I'm not a Queenslander either um I think it's I think it's more regional than state by state I think there's a lot of love um Portland of course is in the Pacific Northwest and so you've got Cascadia I suppose that's it so all the way from Vancouver BC pretty much down to Southern Oregon has this very fundamental um belief and honor to the land and to the environment and have always been very environmentally minded and so there's a big support of that region and I think when you go out of that you just go you guys just don't care and and why would you put your money elsewhere it's it was so it was probably the first influence I had of kind of keeping things local before it was a trendy thing to do because that's how I knew it. You'd, you'd buy the local beer, you'd buy the fresh produce, you would go to the farmer's markets before it was trendy. Um, so it was never a matter of, oh, I'm going to drink Sam Adams, because that's from the other coast. It had nothing to do with the thought process of, oh, it's had to be shipped, and it's that, and it's, it was more just like, well, I pass this brewery every day. Why would I not 
buy that beer? Why would I not go to that burger store instead of McDonald's and support them? So it was kind of done without even thinking. Mm. And I suppose there's a maybe a moral in that story in Queensland as well. Is there is, and I, of... I think we're starting to see more of it. And that's one of the things we do talk about on tour is there's that focus that's started to come about in the past couple of years here of the farmer's markets and buying seasonal and buying mangoes when it's mango season and not that have been sitting in cold storage shipped from Brazil. Um, and yet people are still happy to be very blind to where they spend their money when it comes to things like beer. Um, people are conscious of it when it comes to wine or, you know, um, craft spirits are getting really popular, the whiskeys and the gins. But it, the wool is just over people's eyes. And so being able to expose them to say, hey, you know, this brewery is just down in Burley or this brewery is 50 Ks away up in Newstead or up in Mount Tambourine, you get people realizing, oh, it's it's better to drink something and go in and they see the venue, they see the people, they meet the people it's more awakening that consciousness of saying, oh, you know what, next time I'm out, I'll buy this beer as opposed to that beer because I've been there, I've experienced it. And I think there's probably a disconnect as well between um, people going into a, a, a venue and seeing what they can have on tap. Inevitably, they'll have something on tap and then when they're next in a the bottle shop, they're buying that beer that they had on tap. If it's a small list on, or you know, a restricted list without yeah. any local beers on, I'm really interested that some of the um, bottle shops just in the Gold Coast, um, I've been to maybe three just to have a look around, see what the, the go is. Some of them are really good at stocking. Mm. Um, and some of them, there is no local beer at all, <laughs> you know, apart from the big guys. Mm. I was quite surprised at that when it seems to be a boom time for local... Um, they were actually selling... A, um, a lager from Melbourne, which was over six months out of date for $10 for a six-pack. That's not really surprising. I think, I think it's interesting being somewhere like the Gold Coast, being in Surfers, being in Broad Beach, because it's such a transient group of people that are coming through here that there's probably less of that concern. It probably is, oh, yeah, I've heard of this Forex you know, I'm coming from interstate, I've heard of Forex, or not interstate, but internationally, thinking it is representative of Queensland. And it's not owned by an Australian company. Um, so disregarding all of the ownership, who has this, who has their fingers in what pie, there's that thought, oh, I, I know that the brewery is only 70 k's away, so I'll do that. Yes, it's local. But people don't realize that Burley Brewing is closer than that or Black Hops or people like that until kind of somebody tells them. And I think that's it is if you're not passionate about what you do, if you're working in a bottle shop because it's just getting you by from nine to five, you're not going to make that investment to find out what's around you. And you'll find in the bottle shops that do have a really good range, it's because people have gone in and asked for it or the people that work there are, are passionate. They're on the Facebook groups. They're, they've got the feelers out. They know what's local. And so for us to be able to take that and, like you said before, kind of evangelize and say, hey, look, you can actually go and, and you can look at the bottom of the can and see that this was actually canned three days ago and it hasn't traveled across the country. By that, it's worth the extra couple dollars. It's starting to happen. You see the light bulb go on more and more. But there has to be that spark to get people to, to be interested in it in the first place. Yeah, and, and if you're traveling around 
ten dollars for a six pack, it could be could be six years out of date. You might still <laughs> take a chance on it. If it's cold and wet and it's thirty five <laughs> degrees outside, I don't think you're going to be too worried about flavor. Exactly. So, um, choice three. Choice three would probably be it, it'd be another Oregon beer. Um, when I first started drinking, I was really into ambers. I very much have a sweet tooth. I think that's why I like the Hefeweizen as well, because it is that it's very sweet. Um, so full sail brewing their amber ale. I was uh, probably between, between years at uni or maybe just after I'd graduated. And I just remember that summer and the words full sail amber rolled off of my lips many hundreds of times. Um, it was well-balanced. I don't remember it being overly sweet. It was more of an American-style amber than an English-style, so it had that balance of hops. Again, all things I didn't really think of back then, but I knew that I really liked it, and I knew that it was refreshing, and it had flavor, and it had body, and again, it was brewed in Hood River, which is a 40-minute drive from Portland, and so Full Sail and Deschutes and Rogue and all of those ones were the ones that were always in the grocery store, always on the shelves, and probably always in the fridge because um, it, was, it was easy and you knew that it was close. It's, it's wonderful to kind of think of those which are now kind of massive names in, in the brewing landscape, that that was just like kind of your day-to-day. It's, yeah. I, I feel like I grew up in Liverpool where the Beatles are from, and it's kind of, I feel a bit the same, that like the shoots or Rogue is like the Beatles of the, you know, the craftier <laughs> world. It's like, oh, you know, oh yeah, we don't, we don't really care about them. You know, they sing at the bottom of the garden, but you know, yeah. it's just in the fridge. It's okay. Yeah, it's no, limited I, release. I, it, it's, it, yeah. And I think that was, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that it was average. It was, it was good and it wasn't Coors and it wasn't Budweiser because my, I guess, Forex experience was my f- I, my family weren't big drinkers at all. And so when they would buy a six-pack of beer, it would be good beer. Um, it would be your, your Deschutes, your Bridgeport, your um, McTarnahan's, things like that. Except for one member of my family who drank Coors Light like it was going out of fashion. And I remember drinking a Coors Light and I was like, this is terrible. And she turned to me and she said, oh, yeah, beer is an acquired taste. And I remember thinking that is not a taste that I need to acquire. <laughs> I just it was never going to happen. Um, and so I think and, and like we said before, I think that's where people here stop. They have that experience and they say, yeah, that's beer. And I think kind of divulging from this, but I think what's really interesting is still the prevalence of beer being seen as a male drink. It's a blokey thing to drink. And I think a lot of that actually comes from peer pressure. And this is my own theory. But I think if a guy drinks a beer and he says he doesn't like it, he's kind of forced into continue to drink beer. Um, If you're with a bunch of guys and you're 19 years old and you decide you want to go drink a vodka cruiser, you're going to get made fun of. Like all of your blokey friends are going to be like, I got to get a beer. Whereas if a girl has one experience with a beer and she's young, this is generalization. Um, but you know, she can go and ask for a vodka cruiser and nobody's going to bat an eyelid. And so there's not that push to discover what you do like, what you don't like. It's just, I've tried this one. I don't like it. I'm done. And for me, that was my Coors Light was that for me. It was, it was terrible. Um, 
And and I think that's what changed when I did actually go and, and have Yingling and even have Rolling Rock, which was really readily available in Pittsburgh as well. Um, and then as I grew, my taste definitely changed. So something like the Amber Ale really suited me. Love that sweetness. But it wasn't like drinking a liquefied candy bar or anything like that. Um, and it, I, I just have this very specific memory of sitting at a bar in Portland. Um, and I think it had... 30, 40 taps. And I would just sit at the bar with a friend of mine. We'd play pool. We'd drink beer. And it was always, it was always an amber. Wow. And I'm interested to go back to what you just said there. I think it's certainly my experience growing up. It, um, I know friends of mine definitely pushed through drinking um, very low quality uh, horrible tasting beers. I didn't. I was, I was made fun of <laughs> but I, my, I didn't resort to uh you know vodka cruises but i i went for real ale traditional style yeah English. but you had to go to um you know what we termed old men pubs for that and uh that was <laughs> that was listening to dean martin on the jukebox and things and that's where i resided for for um and they made fun of me there as well. Uh, so, uh, but I <laughs> was it like the music stopped when you opened the door? We kind of just looked at you. What yeah, is he doing here? I, I'd had to sing a little bit of <laughs> Dean Martin for them to ex- accept me. Um, the what's interesting though is in again in my experience that for females um, ordering a pint, if they ordered a pint at the bar or a pint of real ale. Uh, that was kind of frowned upon. How is that? Was that your experience in the US? Or no, was not at all. Equal? It, was, it was never, I never recall having, oh, honey, are you sure you don't want something else? In fact, it was probably the opposite. It was probably the willingness to give tasters. And I think that's another thing that Australians aren't used to is that you can actually come into a place like where we are now, or you can go into a good bar that has a selection aside from your lion in your cub beers and you can say oh I've, I've never tried that one can i get a taster of it that's still really new here but that wasn't 20 years ago 15 years ago in the states that was normal so if you'd go in you very much had that experience with the bartender that would say what do you normally drink what do you like what kind of flavors do you like do you like coffee do you like chocolate uh do you like caramel what do you enjoy and from there they would give you a few samples of three or four different beers and allow you to select which one was your favorite and yeah so i i never had any kind of beer drinking discrimination i suppose when i was entering uh the beer world that's really interesting uh because i certainly know previous guests emily day and annabelle from um himmel hunt um both said you know annabelle has had uh, previously where people have said do you like beer after she's told them she's a head brewer <laughs> and Emily, you know, do you like beer when she's, you know, at a beer festival or whatever it is, uh, editor of Froth magazine. <laughs> it's a, um, so there is still that kind of, uh, mindset out there, I think among some, uh, so there is a lesson in that because you double your markets overnight. Don't yeah. you, if you're accepting and you are welcoming of all that walk through the door, mm. you double your markets. Um, what's the kind of breakup for people coming on tours, female, male? Oh, you... it is It is still very heavily male. Okay. I don't have the numbers, but I would say it's at least 75 to 80% male versus female. Yeah. 
going back on what you said, in the States, I never had that issue. Here, I, I lead beer tours. I talk about beer. People always go, wow, you know so much. And they go, so do you actually drink beer? <laughs> Why is this? <laughs> and I just, I, I, you know, and depending on who it is, um, has a different response. Um, I usually just whip out the picture of my beer fridge and I'm like, yes, I do. Um, but that surprises me because I feel like that would be like opening a pizzeria but not liking Italian food. I just, I don't understand why people don't jump to that conclusion, I suppose. Um, I guess because it is trendy. Like craft beer is very trendy right now. And I've met a lot of people who want to open a brewery but they don't brew beer because they want to kind of board the hype train. Maybe that's what people are thinking when they ask me that. I don't know. But I, it always shocks me when after six hours, and they're like, so you, you drink beer? Yeah. I can't wait to finish the tour and go have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think that it's probably less about craft beer and more about the, uh, you know, a sustained campaign over probably a century of beer is masculine and yeah. it's, uh, women shouldn't drink beer. Um, which is bizarre in the extreme. But it, it, it really is. It still seems to be taking a hold yeah. of the industry today. And, and, and it's not just here. I mean, I think more people in other countries drink beer, even New Zealand, the States, the UK. Um, you know, I, I have to give credit where credit's due. My best friend growing up dated a brewer for a while during kind of those formative collegiate years. Um, I swear that he brewed some sort of honey mint pilsner i have no idea she doesn't seem to recall this i do because i remember really liking it um and so i guess that was the other thing is you know she, that was normal for her was drinking beer like she drinks scotch and whiskey and and you know those quote-unquote non-girly drinks um and so by way of spending pretty much all of my time with her i just drank what she drank except for scotch don't drink scotch <laughs> <laughs> We'll we'll hold on the uh, <laughs> Scotch tours. Yeah, no, no, we'll, that. we'll wait there. So you run Hop On Brewery tours with your partner Matt. Yes. Now Matt, he's from a finance background. Whatever yes. possibly persuaded him to go into the rock and roll lifestyle of brewery tours? Me. <laughs> um, no. Yes, no. Um, we we love to travel. So, like I said before, we spend a lot of time traveling to beer festivals, going to Gabs, going down to Tassie. Um, he's originally from Tassie, so I'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, but yeah, it was probably um, you know we'd, we'd go down there. We discovered beer festivals down there, and when I first came to Australia, he didn't drink beer. Uh, he drank pre-mixed spirits, and so when I came here, there was very, very terrible beer in the fridge. I don't know if I should throw him under the bus and say what it was. I think you should. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we'll, we might have Matt on a, a future episode where he can uh, get his... He, he, hopefully gotten, he's, you're not literally he's, throwing him under the tour no, bus. No, <laughs> he, he's gotten to the point where he now throws himself under the bus. Um, so <laughs> he wasn't a big beer drinker and we met overseas. And so he had kind of stocked the apartment when I, when I came to Australia for the first time. And he knew that I liked beer. And he had Carlton Fusion with lime in the fridge. So they don't have it anymore, but it's like Miller Chill with lime. So Carlton Fusion is, was it a can or a bottle? It was a and bottle. It was a clear bottle. 
So it was a clear bottle, and it was was basically Carlton with lime. Yeah, it was Carlton dry with lime, I believe. I think that's how they relaunched it. Um, it was not good. It, it was almost a deal breaker. It sounds brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny. We were talking about this, and I said, you know, I don't actually remember drinking that beer. I'm sure we must have because there are only six of them. But I don't actually remember consuming three bottles of it. You know how um, the brain can block out <laughs> shut traumatic out. incidents. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> don't take me back to that place. Um, so then I think he took me to a Dan Murphy's. And uh, so this is just over eight years ago. Um, and the landscape was very different back then than it is now. And I remember the next six pack of beer we got was Blue Tongue Lager which also does not exist anymore. And their, uh, their equipment is actually up at Fortitude Brewing at Mount Tambourine. Um, and I picked it purely because it had a lizard on the packaging. There was no reason behind that. I don't think at the time I could have told you that it was a lager. Uh, I just was like, all right, this, this one will do. Again, it's not Forex, it's not VB, which were pretty much the two brands that I recognized. And so we went with that. And that was... Not as traumatic as the Carlton Fusion, <laughs> but I don't think we bought a second six pack of it. And you didn't add lime yourself to no, this? No, oh, no, there was okay. no lime addition. No fruit went into that beer. It stayed as it was. Uh, so yeah, so um, he was in finance. He was doing this job. He was slogging away. He was working 16, 17, 18 hours a day. You know, he'd come home and be on his computer and it was awful. And we just never saw each other and he was unhappy and grumpy. And when he'd have a day off, I had to work weekends. And it was, it was not the kind of life that you want to be living. And, and like I said, with all the travel, we knew that we wanted to get out and do something different. We had decided it was going to be part of the beer community. And we actually initially had the idea to open a bottle shop on the Gold Coast. Um, I don't know if you've been down to Tassie, but St. John in Launceston is amazing. And we wanted essentially a St. John craft beer in Queensland. And then we started looking into the logistics of it and realized that you need a hotel license to have a takeaway bottle shop on in Queensland, which is why most bottle shops are owned by the grocery stores, like the big companies. Uh, so different legislature to Sydney and Melbourne and Tassie, and that kind of squashed that dream. We wanted to Tipler's Tap is a great example of it up in Brisbane. I'm not sure how they do it, who their license is from, but that was kind of the idea. So you had a couple taps doing growler fills. You could drink on premises. You could take away just a really chill environment. And that, that dream, just it just didn't happen. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the licensing. We had no urge to have the pub side of things. And that's when we went down to a beer festival in Port Macquarie. And... Drove up, and Dave's Brewery Tour van was right in front. And we spent this six-hour drive back home, me Googling away frantically to see if anything like that existed. We knew the overhead would be a lot lower. The initial setup costs would be much more reasonable. I thought you were going to say we drove, spent six hours Googling how we could change our name to Dave. (laughs) (laughs) You stole it. No. Um, So, yeah, so we we did that and realized that nothing like that existed um, at the time that we started it. And so... By the time that we got from Port Macquarie back to the Gold Coast, we had a name. 
and the name credit goes to Matt. It was completely his his idea. Um, my dad was a graphic designer, and so I instantly had in my head what I wanted the logo to look like. I'd sketched it out. I took a picture. I sent it to my dad. I said, make this happen. And a few days later, we had our name. We had our logo. We had the website registered, and it was, yeah, all, all systems go. It is a clever name. Hop on... It's it's the pun is very good. You should have seen some of the other names that we came up. You know, Sud Safari and Frothy. <laughs> I don't even know. I've got the list still that'll you know live in infamy. But hop wow. on, it was Sud Safari. I, yeah, that just, is like yeah. taking you to every coin. Look, it was after a beer festival, so you have to <laughs> imagine that we probably weren't in completely in the right right mind frame to be <laughs> super clever. <laughs> I, that could still be a spit off brand, most definitely. <laughs> Have you ever had to hop anybody off the no. hop on tours? That's good. No, we've had to cut off, I think, two people. Um, and it's usually because of a Bucks party. And so, After four, as much as we try and put tours. down the rules, it's, you know, oh, hey, what's the highest percentage you've got? Oh, 7.4% red IPA. <laughs> Let's get a pint of that and make him skull it. And you go, oh. uh, no. And nobody's thrown up on the van yet either. Oh, knock on wood. Fantastic. My wife would probably throw up, not because of drink, just travel sickness. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually the closest we've been is somebody coming down the mountain and they were like, so I get car sick. And I'm like, thank you for telling me on the windy road coming down from Mount Tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. Uh, choice four. All right. Choice, choice four was, I have to give credit here to Van Diemen's in Tassie. Uh, one of our first trips down to Tassie was for Matt's work and I had the day to myself and they were setting up tents in the street next door to the hotel and I am nosy and I asked what the tents were for and I scored us two free tickets to this beer festival which I was doing a little bit of digging through old stuff it was called the Tamar Valley Beer Festival and this is back in March of 2011 and I remember there being an A-frame out front saying free beer tasters, and I'm not shy about asking for free tasters. And so Matt and I went, and I pretty much went to every stand and was like, cool, what can I taste? And everybody was like, uh, you, uh, I think you pay. Oh, no, just try this one. <laughs> okay. Um, and so there were a few that stood out, but um, Will Tatchell from Van Diemen's from that day forward has been a huge mentor for us. Uh, so his White Hills, which was a, is a wheat beer, um, that and, and Jacob's Ladder, which is an amber on par. Uh, but I'd say the White Hills, which was really, especially for Matt, he'd never tried anything like that. He'd never had a wheat beer that he remembered. Um, and it was fresh and it was so full of flavor. And after drinking Carlton Fusion and Blue Tongue Lager, uh, this was just a punch in the face when it came to flavor. Um, and so we kind of explored the whole Van Diemen's range and um, spent heaps of time talking to Will, who was super patient with us because it was very much the beginning of our beer journey together. Um, and he answered all of our questions and he talked about the ingredients and the process and the passion and we, uh, yeah, ever, ever since then, we go back to that same festival every year. So now it's part of the ESC uh, Beer Fest grouping. Um, and last time we were in Tassie, we actually had the opportunity to go out to visit Will's farm because we always stay in touch with him and saw the hops that he grows. We saw 
the barley that he grows that he's now malting himself um, and just the whole setup and it was fantastic. So that would have been the first ta- uh, the first Aussie beer that was really changing for us and, and kind of changed the trajectory of like, oh, wow, this... Okay, now what can we look for when we get back to the mainland? And we had a better idea of, um, I guess, flavor profiles and styles and, and a broader understanding of what was potentially available. And so did Matt feel a bit silly that he'd grown up in a place which is perfect for growing all of the ash means to make beer and was drinking premix drinks? Yeah, in all fairness, he did come to Queensland a long time ago. Uh, so early 2000s. So I think even Tazzy was still not quite in its craft beer era at that point. Um, and again, it's it's cheap. Southern Comfort and cola in cans is not very expensive. Having said that, he has changed his tune. Uh, we were on tour once and he was like, no, no, I looked for good beer. I just couldn't find any. And I remember looking at him when he said that and I said, that is the first time you have ever said that statement to me. Are you just making that up? He's like, no, no, I did. But my friends didn't drink craft beer, so I just stuck with what I was drinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we, Matt. Yeah, I love we'll, you. We will have to give Matt a right to reply. <laughs> Maybe in a few years, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'll hold on to it. <laughs> so choice five. Um, choice five is another... So choice five is really hard because we're getting into the hop-driven stuff now. Um I think Fat Yak was an early contender and Hop Hog, which just turned 10. I was just reading that whole article. I think Hop Hog is a good intro for a lot of people. But for me, I actually settled on Hop Zone by Brucol. And again, I was talking to Matt a lot about this when we were kind of I was putting this list together. Um, and I, I remember my first Hop Zone experience, just like I do with Hop Hog. Um, and... There are so many good Australian beers that could have slotted in there. Um, Stone and Wood, of course, I think is a gateway for a lot of people. But we were out at a bar on the Gold Coast and, you know, it was a bartender recommendation, the Hop Zone. And I think for me, that was something that I actually had started to put together the idea of knowing the brewer behind the beer. It was at the time that Brew Cult was very, very popular. So Hendo was getting written up in Brews News and Beer and Brewer, and pretty much everything you can think of, they were talking about Hendo. And, and we're talking about Steve Henderson. Yes, the, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Steve Henderson. <laughs> um, who, I guess once you kind of put that together, you, it, it started to click because before that, aside from probably meeting Will, you just drink the beer and you don't necessarily think about the people behind it, um, especially growing up with, with some of the Portland beers. And that was the first one where it was like, I like this beer. Oh, there's this article about the person. Oh, this is a really interesting history of how he came to this. I like that. I want to support that. And that encouraged us to go look for other Brewcult beers. Um, and so with all of his seasonals and his funky labels and his crazy releases and his, you know, beer geek rage quit and his American Brown and all of that kind of stuff. And it made you buy into the brand, not because the labels were cool or the beer was great, 
but all of it. And then there was this actual face to the brewery. Um, and I... So Hendo is the first person in the beer industry that I fangirled uh, because he was all over the news at the time. And I don't think he remembers this. And hi, Hendo, if you're listening. Um, it was at Beer Insider a few years ago. And I must have just read something about him and seen a picture. And I remember we were at a tent and Matt was like, oh, hey, isn't that the guy who brews Brewcolt? And he was coming behind me. And I was like, oh, my God, really? And I got a picture with him. And, and had my fangirl moment. Um, and then, you know, that's it. You go on, you keep drinking beer. And I've had the pleasure of seeing him on multiple occasions now. Um, at not just different events, but he's been on the Gold Coast a lot lately. Uh, you know, working pretty closely with Black Hops and all of that sort of stuff. So now it's to the point where he actually remembers my name. And we can stand and have a conversation and have a beer and have a chat. And that fangirl feeling has passed. But he was definitely the first one in the industry that I was like, oh my God, you're the guy who brews that beer that I love. And so, yeah, Hop Zone was, was very much that, that light bulb moment of putting together all of the factors of a beer. And what was it about the beer that you loved? Oh, it was, it was fantastic. It was a mid-strength. So I think it was only a 4.5% beer. Um, or session, I guess, not mid-strength. Um, it, was, it was bitter. It was balanced. It was crisp. And it was something that I wanted to keep drinking. It wasn't something that I had one and was like, oh, it's too cloying, it's too sweet, it's too this. It was it just right place, right time. And I think I bought Hop Zone until the very last bottle of it came out and uh, shed a tear when it stopped <laughs> being made. <laughs> I think there was a few tears shed mm. when uh, Brucol's uh, ceased operation. And uh, Hendo will be a future guest on the show. I'd love to hear his six beers that changed everything. And, uh, you know, in terms of you talking about, um, you know, mentors and people who have helped you out, what has been the more difficult obstacles for you to overcome? You know, starting up a small business in, in your line of work, it's very much based around, you know, your trip advisor, your, your reviews, etc. Yeah. That seems to me hard to get your reviews up outstanding and uh there's many of them uh review this podcast if uh if you've got the the chance listeners um not on TripAdvisor. i don't want anyone any listeners visiting me Uh, (laughs) um but how you know what are the biggest obstacles kind of that you faced and and the growing pains and things i think there have been a few things from a business perspective but I don't think they're that unusual to small businesses. I think the initial setup was a bit difficult. You had to know all of the right regulations and legislature of what you needed to have to be able to transport people. So there's all of that kind of paperwork, which, you know, you just have to print it all out and just start ticking boxes. And do we have this? Do we have that? Yes. Okay. So once that was cleared, um, I, I think just what you'd find with anything, it's just marketing. It's knowing who to target because that for us is do you target the craft beer lovers or are they already out at the places they already know the brewers they're probably the ones that we saw at the venues and at the festivals or do you try and target the forex drinkers 
there has to be happy medium and it's kind of casting that net wide and then finding what you're catching and then focusing on that. I don't think that's different to any other small business, whether using social media marketing or, you know, there've been, a, I think marketing has been our biggest um, failure in expenditure, I suppose, the, the least ROI that we've seen in certain places we've put our money. I think in terms of the reviews, we always encourage people uh, and, and we're not shy about saying how much that helps us on TripAdvisor and Facebook. If they've had a good day, if they haven't had a good day, we don't encourage them to visit social media. Um, but, you know, that's and, and word of mouth has grown from there, which has been fantastic. Um, recently, we've discovered, I guess, a bit of a push from some of the breweries, which has been really nice to hear from outside sources. Um, just being contacted by somebody and saying, oh, this brewery said, you guys do this. Let's talk. And you go, oh, wow, that's I that legitimacy, I suppose. Um, and when places do open up and they come to us and they say, we want you to come visit us. And for that, it proves that we're doing something right. And we have uh, starting to establish ourselves within the community that we so badly wanted to be a part of. It's still pretty surreal sometimes. Um, and then a lot of people say as well, they don't think they could work with their other half. You know, we talk to a lot of people. Oh, I could never work with my wife. I could never work with my husband. We have very different strengths, and we complement each other very well. And I couldn't be more fortunate. Um, I'm not just saying that to make up for, for throwing him under the bus with his beer choices. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he does come from a finance background, and I come from a travel and tour guiding background. And so our strengths very much lie in, uh, in how we connect with people and how we see things, because we see opportunities in very, very different ways and have tried things that the other person might be skeptical of. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, so that's probably been a bit of a challenge as well, but a, a learning curve of when you just need to step away and you never really put down the business. You know, you never stop analyzing or looking or tasting or researching or criticizing or any of that. And so we're never really off, but because it's still something that we love so much, it doesn't feel like work, which is really good. That is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Interview us in five years and we'll <laughs> see how that is. And, and I think that's one of the reasons we don't have any other staff on at the moment. Um, so two and a half years and it's still just the two of us. And we still love getting up and doing what we do. Sure, there's a day that you wake up and you go, oh, it's raining outside. I don't want to get out of bed but it has nothing to do with the work ahead of you. It's just yeah. comfort of being in bed. Um, As an Englishman, I'd never know what that felt like. <laughs> um, and so I think that, that it will keep going until it, it's not fun anymore, and then we'll probably look at, at hiring people. Um, a very wise man in the industry did say to us a couple years ago to ensure that we are working on the business and not in the business, and that is something I'm always conscious of. It's always in the back of my mind. Um, because I do think we both want to get to the point where we can take a bit of a step back and have kind of a third person that is as committed and as involved as we are. Exit strategy. Yeah. It sounds, it's, it's, it's very business-like, isn't I know, it? It, it sounds is. depressing it's... that anyone would uh, want to get out of a business. <laughs> well, we, we, <laughs> we love to travel, and that's been the hardest thing, is we, we don't have our four weeks paid holiday anymore. And so when we travel, you go, okay, well, are we going to, stop running tours for this weekend are we not going to do this are we 
Um, you know, we we go to Gab's every year. It's it's like Christmas. Um, and this year we had a group that was meant to be 20 people on the Saturday of Gab's. And so we made the commitment to not go. And then it ended up being six people. No. Um, and so Matt was actually really amazing. He surprised me with a flight to Melbourne and tickets to Gab's because he said at least one of us should go and experience it. But, you know, so it's those kind of things that we'd had the weekend blocked out and somebody comes to you and says, oh, we've got this massive group. And you go, from a business perspective, we can't turn it down. And then when it doesn't quite fulfill what they promised, you go, all right, well, where's that? cost-benefit analysis, and I let him deal with that because he's the finance guy. <laughs> and, and, and Matt took the group out and let you go to Gab. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I owe him big time. Look, it, it, Matt has definitely got a spot in yes. a future episode now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's quite wonderful. Um, well done, Matt. Narrative is very important. Story is very important in your line of work in yes. terms of bringing the breweries alive, but also keeping people entertained in between breweries, etc. Um, what's a story that you tell which gets the best reaction or that you enjoy telling the most? Or is there a beer fact that surprises people? Yeah, so the beer fact, I think, that surprises people is on... On longer drives, we do talk about the history of beer and how it was a craft by women, which always surprises people, um, and, and talk through that kind of bit of history. Um, I think my favorite thing that I remember reading that I love to share with people, especially on Bucks groups, uh, as they've got upcoming weddings going on, is that... Um, you know, many hundreds of years ago, women in communities would brew a specific beer when somebody would get married and they would sell that beer and use the proceeds to help pay for the wedding. And that beer was called the bride's ale. And the term bridal today originated from the bride's ale. And that's probably one of my favorite things because everybody just goes, wait, what? <laughs> and, and it's so, um, yeah, it's just a cool little, I love language i i love etymology i love the history of words so anytime i get one of those i just hold on to it i'd never heard that idea it almost makes me want to get married again (laughs) Uh, as much as i love my wife this this sounds like a great ski Mm. it's almost like getting married for free you can do a good beer yeah well everybody goes oh why don't they do that anymore because (laughs) Men usurped <laughs> brewing 200 years ago, so don't blame it on me. Yeah, they, they killed a golden goose. That's that it. was uh, very silly, very silly men. But with um, with stories too, like we um, are fortunate in that there's not a huge drive time between our venues, and a lot of the venues have their own story to tell. There's everything from kind of the the beer stories behind the names when you go somewhere like Newstead, which draws people in and gives a bit of a history about Brisbane, um, all the way down to Balter. And you can talk about Mick and the surfers and, you know, Scotty Hargrave and kind of where he's come from and where he's going. Um, and then we just kind of fill the rest of the time with talking about gabs. People love the story of the belly button beer from a couple years ago from Seven Cent Brewing. Everybody gets a little bit grossed out by that. And then you hand them a beer and they go, that's not the belly button beer, is it? And you go, no, no, they don't. No, that's not it. It's okay. We wouldn't do that to you. Um, so, yeah, it's little fun stories like that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, let's go on. Choice six. Choice six was difficult. So I had two dark beers that I was going between. Um, 
very different dark beers, but I'll stick with Cthulhu from Kaiju. I don't remember ever trying a black IPA before I had that, and it has set the standard for black IPAs. Um, we've also had the the f- good fortune of you know meeting the Kaiju boys, meeting Nat and Callum. We see them at festivals all the time. Uh, really, really lovely guys. Always have time for us. Um, but that beer is so iconic of them because it's so full of hops and it's just like it's such a good example of kaiju beers um it's piney and earthy and sweet and sticky and all of those things that is hard to achieve there are a lot of black ipas that fall short, that are too watery, that just don't have that balance, that you have it and you go, yeah, but it's just, it's like when you have food that needs a little bit of salt. You know, sometimes you just have that beer and you go, just needs a little bit more. And then you have Cthulhu and you go, all is right in the world. This is so good. People often ask, I think anybody in the beer industry, what's your favorite beer? And it's seasonal. And is it hot? Is it cold? Am I sitting in front of a fire? Am I you know, out at the beach, it's different. But somebody said, if what, what's the last, if you had to choose one beer to be the last beer that you ever had, what would it be? And that's my answer is Kaiju Cthulhu. Wow. Yeah. The, I've had some recently and I, I kind of think you're definitely onto something. <laughs> there's, there's not much you could add or take away from the beer to make it to improve it, yeah. To make it any better, and uh, my wife loves stouts, and I poured her the kaiju and didn't tell her, and she just thought it was a really interesting, nice stout. <laughs> but it, black IPA, why is there not more people making black IPAs? It's it, it seems it's unfashionable almost, but that is a great example of a. There are a few, but they do come out seasonally, the ones that we found, at least up here. Um, and, and they're excellent, but there's... So I love the, the, the beer so much and the branding that they actually have their singlets that have the like Cthulhu monster on it. And um, I am notoriously cheap when it comes to like buying merch. And I wanted one of these singlets so badly that... Uh, Last year or two years ago for Bruce Vegas, they were up here and <laughs> this is a little bit, I don't know, TMI. Uh, so one of the events ended up turning into this belching contest up at uh, Brewski and it was like brewers versus other people if you wanted to. And they brought out these jugs of brewer's water, so sparkling water. And you could drink of as much of it as you could. And the idea was to like belch the alphabet and then it was like volume and it was duration and it was all of these things and I participated and I absolutely did not win but I convinced everybody that I won because the prize was a singlet with the Cthulhu monster (laughs) (laughs) I was probably a very pathetic third but I was just loud enough in my enthusiasm for wanting that shirt that I scored myself a free singlet so I, thanks, guys. I think if you're willing to fight the first <laughs> and second place people for a singlet, then <laughs> you, you deserve it. That's it. <laughs> Wear it with pride. <laughs> <laughs> so is there any beers that didn't quite make the six 
that you'd like to give a special mention yeah, to? Yeah, special mention definitely goes to Obsidian Stout from Deschutes Brewing. Um, I, I drank a lot of their beers growing up, but this was actually one of my dad's favorites. He wasn't much of a beer drinker, but he, he did like his good stouts. Um, unfortunately, he passed away 18 months ago. And uh, this, this may be a little bit morbid, but in his honor, my uncle and I got a six-pack of the beer and drank most of it. I think a few bottles made it back to Australia. And when I emptied one of the bottles, we filled it with his ashes. And so that is my little altar to my father, is a bottle of Deschutes Obsidian Stout uh, with him just chilling inside. That's a lovely story. Is it lovely? It's probably it... a bit creepy, um, but I feel like that one needed needed a mention because he probably wasn't afraid to drink dark beers when they were not super fashionable. And uh, because of that, he encouraged me to try porters and stouts and, and those big chewy beers, as he used to call them. It's it's a lovely story because it starts to make me think, where what bottle would I want my, my, and that's a I thought you were going to say what bottle you wanted your parents in no, 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 no. <laughs> no they'd be in tinnies <laughs> <laughs> well that's a great point to end the six beers now a, one snack to go with these beers is there anything you've got a preference for pretzels pretzels go with everything because if it's hoppy if it's sweet that salt brings it out they make you want more. I'm a, I'm a big fan of pretzels. We, we serve them on tour as well. So I think that's probably another thing. So in between venues, we give people pretzels or popcorn. Popcorn's too messy. It gets stuck in your teeth. Um, and, and gets stuck in the bus as well. In, yes, in it bus. does. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, packets of popcorn that we have just explode as soon as they open. Um, pretzels are much cleaner. But I think, I think that goes back to like the idea of being in a bar in the States. You, you always have a bowl of pretzels or peanuts. Um, Peanuts can be too overpowering flavor-wise, especially if you're drinking something that's like a nice chocolatey stout, then all of a sudden you're drinking Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, which is fine in its own right. But yeah, pretzels are that good balance of salty and... And also when you're sat in pro- close proximity on a bus, yeah. peanuts, yeah. yeah. You can take Don't want anaphylaxis of... happening yeah. while we're on tour. No, and that's that would be bad. Point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a receptacle to consume these beers out of. Yeah. I feel like I should have uh, something fancy, but I have never gotten into the different vessels for different beers. And I was just listening to one of your podcasts and he was like, there is a different vessel for every beer that you have. And I was like, there probably (laughs) is. And that's probably true. And I know people that swear by that. We have stock standard 425 mil schooner glasses that we give out on tour as well. And we've just held on to a few of those. Having said that, um, when I am drinking a nice IPA or double IPA, there is a fake Spiegelau IPA glass uh, that I will drink out of because, I don't know, it looks a little bit fancier. It makes me feel like I'm being an educated beer drinker, but I've not taken the time to sit down and actually experiment. So, yeah, just a just a regular old schooner glass. Uh, that's fine. I, I, I think um, there the may well be a, a different glass for every type of beer, but it's practicality, isn't it? It's you've got to wash all of those glasses. Yeah, got that's to, you exactly know, right. And the amount and of people, them. On, yeah, the amount of people on social media who post Spiegelau broken Spiegelau glasses. Yeah, sad face. Um, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that going on. So I, 
you're looking industrial strength schooner glass. That's that pretty much does, it. It, gets, it, it gets the job done. That's pretty much what you need. So if people are coming up to the region, they want to lower Queensland as we, uh, yeah. we've renamed <laughs> yes, it. Um, <laughs> if they want to come up to the region and book a tour with um, Matt and yourself, yeah. how, how do they do it? Best thing is jump on the website, hoponbrewerytours.com.au. Um, you can keep an eye on what we're doing on Instagram. We post lots of beer photos and tour photos. But yeah, everything's done through booking online. You can call us. Uh, we run six days a week, so we're pretty likely to be able to, to fit people in there uh, whenever they have the opportunity. Excellent. And um, you're also in and around Australia going to festivals and so on, yeah, so we're people around. can see you there as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're always rocking our hop-on shirts, so if you see it, come up and say hi. Yeah, absolutely. We're well, looking forward to Gabs next year. Um, I presume you'll be taking a group of six around and Matt will be... Uh, no, we are blocking it off for sure and for certain <laughs> this year, and we are both going to Gabs. <laughs> that sounds like a sweet win for you. Yes. <laughs> so, well, it's been a, a brilliant journey. Thanks for taking us through the six beers that changed everything, and uh, thanks very much for making the time to be on the Chosen yeah, Brew. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been fantastic. It has been fantastic, and uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on what you're doing at Hop on Tour. So, uh, thanks so much, Jocelyn. Thank you. So that was it. Jocelyn Erickson from Hop On Brewery Tours. I'm sure we will get Matt's right of reply in the future, but a great guest um, because this is someone who works day to day in seeing different breweries, seeing how they operate, seeing the different personalities, and also seeing those people who are perhaps starting their beer journey, perhaps having that beer that opens up a whole new world for them. So I'm sure you enjoyed that one. Make sure you subscribe, like, listen, do whatever you do with podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be much appreciated and uh, I'm sure it gets more people uh, to listen as well. If you enjoy listening to the show, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, get in touch via Facebook or Instagram, Twitter at The Chosen Brew um, or send an email, thechosenbrewau at gmail.com as well or you can send it through the contact page on the website which is thechosenbrewau.com thanks a lot for listening again and the next episode is going to be pretty special so hold tight and i'll speak to you soon